0: You're listening to audio from Holy Cross Church in Tucson, Arizona. If you'd like to check out more resources or learn more about our ministry, please visit holycrosstucson.com. We're going to be spending some time in uh, Hebrews chapter 4 this morning. So if you have your Bibles, you can uh, grab that and join us here in Hebrews chapter 4. And as you're doing that, finding your place, um, you know, I wanted to share with you just a a burden I've had this week. And it's been a good burden. I just want to be clear about that. And over the course of this past week, in preparation of just gathering with you all, uh, things that I've been, I've been feeling about COVID and worship and um, our time together, and I just I felt like a burden to just commend you all and to express my thanks and, and gratitude uh, to our church for the way that you've navigated um, this irregular and very uncomfortable season of worship and COVID. Um, I know that it has not been easy and fun in many ways. You know, we took away our kids' um, Sunday morning classrooms and brought them back on the most part. We've taken away communion and given it back, but in little little cups. We've asked you to wear masks and to be aware of your presence with others and social distancing. We took away donuts and we, we lost many of you during that time, but we brought them back. It is hard to be friendly um, in this time. And uh, it's hard to be friendly while wearing a mask, and and, um, from my perspective, you all have been incredibly gracious, incredibly generous. Um, I don't know what you're saying in private, uh, but James liked that. But but from my perspective, you've been generous, and I thank you. in fact, I, I, it's all that I could hope for in our church and how we respond to just this irregular time. I've noticed just a humble, a humble submission to your leaders in our church and of what we've asked you to do. Um, I've noticed a loving hospitality and service to your neighbor as we have tried to serve one another and be aware of um, our distance with one another. I know it hasn't been ideal. It's even been awkward at times. And for many of you, you've set aside preferences for the sake of unity we've been doing some things and asked you to do things that maybe you don't want to do, um, but you've been incredibly generous with that. Uh, going forward, we, you know, we'll continue to assess and, and use our best judgment and wisdom to um, how, how to add things. We're excited about adding Magnify and hopefully adding our, our monthly prayer back and um, our life groups and hopefully growing in those groups as we welcome new people to our church and proclaim the gospel in our neighborhoods and see people come to know Jesus in a deeper way. Um, we continue to ask you to assess your own personal risk, whether you're here in person or worshiping with us at home. We can do a lot to minimize that risk but not take it away completely. Um, and for some of you, um, you will decide to continue to join us virtually and, and we We're committed to honoring you in that decision and also um, supporting you in that. Of course, I would love to see everyone here, but we know that that's not the wisest decision for everybody. I've even heard from a couple people, they just can't wait to get their vaccine so they can join us. You know, um, 80-year-olds that have been calling me and saying, just get my vaccine and I'll be back. I'm like, all right, (laughs) can't wait to see you. Um, But we take our lives into our own hands. I'll just say that. Uh, and we, and, and um, I'm just glad to worship with you all and to be here. And I wanted to thank you because I've felt that for a long time, but haven't done that publicly and wanted you to know. So let's go to Hebrews chapter 4, <clears throat> continuing in our series, uh, The Heart of Christ today. I'll start reading in verse 12. For the word of God is living and active. "'Sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, "'of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. "'And no creature is hidden from his sight, "'but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him, to whom we must give account. "'Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, "'Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession.' For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. This is God's word. I have never had to uh, go under the knife so to speak. You know what that means. I've never had to do that. I've never had a surgeon take his scalpel and open me up. I've never been under general anesthesia. I've never had to, anything need to be healed. For I'm very thankful for that and have never yet had the need, but chances are a time will come when that won't be the case and that changes, and I'll have to consider many things, and maybe you have had to consider such a thing before in your life. I'll have to consider a particular prognosis of disease or ailment. I'll have to consider the cost. I'll have to consider the timing and so forth. Is this the right time to have this surgery and things like that? But maybe the thing I'll consider most in when I'm thinking about allowing somebody to uh, sedate me and open me up is the trustworthiness of that surgeon. What do I know about this person holding the scalpel? What do I know about their uh, track record, their skill, their experience? There's a lot of things this surgeon could do to help me be put at ease. You know, if I walk into his or her office and I see a bunch of plaques on the wall, that'll help. bunch of awards and, and education and credentials and training, those things will really help. Good testimonies from previous patients. I can ask, hey, have you gone through this surgery before and with this surgeon, and how did it go? Experience is always a plus. Successful outcomes, if a surgeon says, I've done 2,000 of these procedures and every one has been a successful outcome, that's going to help. It's incredibly comforting to go to a doctor who seems to demonstrate that he or she knows a great deal about your sickness. But it's quite another thing to go into this surgery with a surgeon that has also suffered from that same ailment. God is coming at us with a knife. And our verse 12 says this, God is coming at us with a knife, needing to do surgery. He's coming with a scalpel to open us up. And the word of God does this. It penetrates our hearts. It discerns our thoughts. It bears us completely open on the the operating table and it sees us for who we are. And our initial reaction when someone comes at us with a knife is what? Run the other direction. Retreat. Guard ourselves. Hey, what are you doing? I don't know. What, are you, what do you want to do? God is coming at us with a scalpel, and he's saying, trust me, I know what I'm doing. And we have questions. He doesn't always feel trustworthy. But in verse 16, says that we should, instead of retreating, that we should open ourselves up to him for his spiritual healing, for his grace and mercy. What will you do as God comes to you with a knife in the form of trials of life, in the form of conviction through his word, in the form of suffering, betrayal, and hardship, in the form of sickness and, and, and loneliness, in the form of all the things that that pain us in this life as God is coming with a scalpel How will you react to him? Will you retreat or will you open up your heart to his healing work? Will you pull away? Will you continue just to look for short-term memory uh, remedies, just short-term like band-aids and trying to medicate and self-medicate? But what happens next will depend on one primary thing. Do you trust the surgeon? Do you trust the one who holds the scalpel? And this metaphor is fitting for what's happening in our passage. This passage is picked from the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews was written to a people who were in the midst of all kinds of trouble, all kinds of suffering. Many had gotten out of the habit of worshiping because it was, uh, it was dangerous to worship. Christians were being persecuted. Many were fearful. Many were confused. Why would God allow something like this to happen to us? Many were suffering and even questioning their faith. Many were just annoyed with the kinds of people that they encountered and just wanted to get away from it all. Many were experiencing a great deal of apathy, ready to throw their hands up and say, what's the point of it all? I just want to give up. It's just too much work. If only we could relate to this kind of time, right? We know exactly what they're feeling. We know exactly what they're going through. God's word is the most relevant thing we will read every day. It's so applicable. It's so relatable. God's people have suffered in in different ways throughout time, but the the, the longing and the pain and the, the pressure, the confusion, and the heartache has all been the same. And in the midst of all kinds of difficult decisions and painful scenarios, they had a decision to make. Will they walk by faith even if it means that their faithful decisions will lead to more suffering? Or will they run away? Will they keep moving forward? Will they keep trusting God? Will they keep clinging to his promises? Or will they lay down and, and, or throw up their hands and say, I just want to be done. It's just too hard. And the writer of Hebrews wants them to know that when God comes at them with a knife, that they can trust him writer of Hebrews, is writing to a group of Christians in the midst of of struggle. And he's telling them, don't give up. Don't throw your hands up. Don't give in. Don't lay down. Don't lose hope. Don't lose faith. And knowing that their faithful decisions will lead to more pain. We can trust God. And Jesus, the exact imprint of the character of God, And the perfect impression of his nature is all the evidence that we need to know that the one before us that holds the knife to do his work in our hearts loves us and is trustworthy. And it's here by looking at Christ that we have this foundation to that trust in God so that we don't give up either because I know that you and I are going through this pain. We're going through the heartache. We are tired of taking one step after another. And it's just hard to live in a broken world with broken hearts. And so God's word to us is meant to say, don't give up. We have three reasons that we can trust in Jesus as the foundation for our not giving up and trusting in God. The first that we see in this passage is that Jesus stands with us in our weakness. He's with us. And it will sound a little bit counterintuitive as we think Jesus is with us as the passage describes Jesus ascending into heaven and being kind of out of sight and out of reach. The writer believes that reminding his readers that Jesus is in heaven and functioning for us as the great high priest, that, there, that, that means there's never a time that we ever have to be afraid No matter what trouble comes our way, that Jesus is not directly by our side, present with us through it all, struggling with us as we go through it. When you think about Jesus in heaven, does it make you feel like Jesus is closer or that he's further away? Naturally, we might have the opposite effect of feeling that he's close. He's out of touch. He's out of reach. He's transcendent. He's above. He's out of sight, but that's because you and I will read something like this and with the eyes of not first century Jewish men and women, but 21st century Americans. We read this and we see that Jesus has ascended into heaven as our great high priest and we say, I kind of wish he was right here with us. But let me give you a peek into what the readers would have seen at this when they see that when the, when the writer of Hebrews says, Jesus is our great high priest, that that would have given them tremendous comfort presents the argument of the high priest. Since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, let us hold fast. Don't give up. Why? Because Jesus is in heaven as your great high priest. Once a year, during the most Famous and important holiday for the Jewish people, the Day of Atonement, the high priest who was called by God and, and representing the people, this high priest would go into the temple, they would, he would leave the sight of the people and he would go into the Holy of Holies and there he would present to God in the presence of God, on the mercy seat he would present a sacrifice that would atone for and make sacrifice for the sins of God's people. And he would do this by standing in their place, representing the people of God. And he would commune with God and he would bring this offering and God would accept that offering as acceptable and pleasing in his sight and he would cover over the sins of the people. This was a dangerous, dangerous uh, activity to do. It was here the priest would stand in solidarity with God's people on their behalf, and going to God face-to-face to make a sacrifice. It was so scary that, they, that he would have a rope tied to his ankle in case God would strike him dead so that they could pull him out. He had bells on him so that if they heard the bells jingling, they would think, okay, he's still walking around in there. But if the bells stop, they're like, he did something wrong. And God struck him dead so that they can pull him out. But it's here, this priest would go in solidarity with God's people. Say, I am here on behalf of your people, in their place, seeking your mercy for them. And it's here that God would pour out his grace on them, pour out his mercy for them, because of the sacrifice that was made. You could imagine outside the temple as the people would be waiting, couldn't you? You see some people, a few people holding onto the rope, and then the crowds of people at the temple waiting. And then you see a shadow moving forward and you see it's the high priest and he's come and he's covered in blood from this brutal sacrifice that he's just performed. And you realize in that moment that God has accepted the sacrifice. Imagine the cheering, imagine the celebration, imagine the peace. The people of God carried with them the weight of their sin on their soul. And when they saw this sacrifice made and accepted and the priest coming back out, they would have felt joy. They would have felt rest and his mercy. And year after year, they did this over and over again to find rest for their soul that was heavy with sin. Now imagine feeling that way perpetually without end. That there is someone who stands in your place in solidarity with you to bring rest to your soul, sin-stained heart broken and weary and heavy with sin, that there's always someone advocating for you. There's always someone fighting for you. This perpetual high priest, always standing in your place, always seeking God's mercy, always pouring out God's love for you. You see, Jesus' heavenly residence right now is not a cause for us to feel distance from God. It is actually the opposite. It is proof that his presence is with us right now. It is this very reason Jesus said it's better for me to leave so that when I leave, I will send my Holy Spirit to you. I will send Spirit of God to dwell with you so that no matter where you go, you are never alone. He's not only the one who stands with us, he's the one that sacrifices for us. A word that I've heard more maybe this last couple years than my entire life is the word Solidarity. See, solidarity, it's, a use, it's used to cry for, for people to stand together in unity, to stand together in, in oneness. Solidarity with our neighbor who is hurting, our neighbor who is suffering. Solidarity with our community trying to uh, come up with a plan of restraining this virus. Solidarity with healthcare workers on the front lines. Solidarity with teachers in immense stress. Solidarity with those who are hurting. What does that mean that we are together? Dane Ortland in Gentle and Lonely says this solidarity is unrestrained witness. It's a made up word, but you know what it means. Unrestrained witness. The great point that our passage is making is that Jesus is not just a better friend, He's not just a good friend in our time of trouble, but He is our great high priest. He's put an end to the fear that you and I have of ever being alone when we are suffering. Friends will leave us. Jobs will change. Peace and comfort will ebb and flow. Jesus is with us. He's our ever-present, always-enduring, faithful high priest, standing with us with unrestrained witness. Do you feel his presence in your life? The preacher of Hebrews goes on to further give evidence that we can trust Jesus, that not only is he with us, not only is he present for us, with us and stand with us, but he can identify with our weaknesses. If Jesus were alive today uh, on earth, he is alive today. If he were alive bodily with us and on earth, he would have been canceled, ignored, unfriended, by everyone he's ever known. Verse 15 does something that every English teacher will tell you you should never do in a paper, and that is to use a double negative in a sentence. But the author here does it not because of a lack of literary training, but a way to forcefully prove the point. We do not have a high priest who is not able to sympathize with with our weaknesses. And the two negatives cancel out each other. So what does it mean? He sympathizes with us. It is not that he just knows what we're going through because he is all-knowing and he is smart. He sympathizes with us because he has gone through it himself. In verse 15, But one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. When we look at Jesus... We are looking at one who's not just our friend and who cares about us. We are looking at one who knows exactly what it's like to be us. He knows exactly what it's like to suffer as we suffer. For he has been tempted in every single way, he has been broken in every single way that we have. He has experienced every human emotion and pain and loneliness and hurt and ache in his heart that you and I experience. And he is able to sympathize with us. He knows. My daughter had to get some blood work done. It was one of those at-home kits that we kind of ordered and had an at-home kit there. She's irrationally afraid of needles and pricks and blood. And so, it's so much so that if she comes out of her bed at night and we're watching TV, all we have to do to get her back into her room is saying, there's blood in this show. And off to bed she goes, <laughs> okay, I don't want to do it. <laughs> Terrified, irrationally afraid. Irrationally afraid. We had to use a lancet, right? You know, those little spring-loaded needles that you prick the finger with. And I'm telling her, honey, it's like a butterfly landing on your finger. That's what it feels like. It's just, it's not gonna hurt. You're overreacting. You're being irrational. Let me, I'll show show you, honey. I will do it so you can see what happens. And so I I pricked my finger and I gotta tell you, I was surprised by how much blood comes out of that. There's a lot of blood and I could feel my heartbeat in my finger nonetheless. And I'm thinking that's, She's going to freak out at this. That actually hurts quite a bit. So I'm dripping blood and I feel my heartbeat. What's my, he knows. He's not just trying to give us a pep talk and say, you can do this. You can get through it. He is saying that we can trust him because he knows exactly what it's like to go through what we are going through. When you're betrayed, he knows because he was betrayed. When you're misunderstood, no one has been misunderstood like Christ. When you're bruised by the pain of this world, he's also felt that same way. When you lose somebody you love, he has also felt that same grief. In fact, he, he feels it more. Because of our own self-centeredness and selfishness, we will remove ourselves from putting ourselves in people's shoes. But Jesus never did that. He always put himself in other shoes. He always did that. He knows. He never gives up. He knows the pain and weakness, but more than us. With the clarifying verse, yet without sin. Now, this might be confusing because you're thinking, okay, how does Jesus know what it's like to be me? He's not a sinner, he has never sinned. Have you ever felt that? Okay, he came, he walked, he became a man, and he knows what it's like to be human, but not really. He doesn't know what it's like to be fully human because he never had to know the pain of sin. How could Jesus say that he knows what it's like to be in my shoes if he is perfect? C.S. Lewis uses this really great analogy of two people walking through a storm. And they're midst of you. You picture this horrible windstorm, this snowstorm, and two people are walking in the face of this wind, fighting the wind with every step, leaning into it, pushing into it, and and feeling the, the, the pain and force of this strength of this wind. And one person lays down. And you know what happens is when you lay down in a wind like that, the wind goes over you, and for the first time it gives you rest. And you feel relief from the storm. But the second person presses on. The second person keeps fighting the wind. The second person never gives up, never lays down. Which would you say knows the pain of the storm better? The one who keeps going. The one who gives up. It is true that Jesus never sinned. But because of our sin, that has actually caused us to not experience the full weight of this world like he did. Jesus experienced every pain that you and I experience and more because he didn't give up where you and I give up. He knows the pain of every moment better than you because his experience is not clouded by the sin that clouds our experience. Jesus experienced the full pain of being human unfiltered without a moment's break from the temptation of sin. He never laid down. He never gave up. And therefore, there is not a single person in a better position to know what it's like to be you than Jesus Christ. There's not a single person who knows what it's like to feel the feelings that you feel than Jesus Christ. Some of you are fixers by nature. Some of you are feelers by nature. The question is, which one is Jesus? And you're thinking, well, whichever one I am. Now listen to this. Sometimes, not all the time, but a lot of the time, maybe most of the time, when we are suffering, we don't need someone to give us a a course on God's attributes. We don't need someone to give us a fix-it lesson. We don't need someone to take that pain away. We need someone to let us know they're with us and if necessary, to sit down with us and weep with us when we are weeping. We need someone to feel our feelings along with us, not just from a distance and say, I'm sorry you're going through this. I'm here for you. Jesus doesn't just say, I'm sorry you're going through this. I'm here for you. Jesus is with us and feels what we feel and he weeps with us. If you look through the New Testament, Jesus is always sapped of his energy. Jesus is always exhausted. Jesus is always sighing. This is what the New Testament says. If you look through the life of Jesus, the guy has the weight of the world on his shoulders. He's always tired. Why is he always crying? Why is he always weepy? Because you and I exhaust him. Our sin is exhausting. He came leaving the glory of heaven. He becomes like us. He's tempted like us, yet the outcome of his temptation is completely different than our outcome. He is faithful. Now imagine how exhausting that was to be faithful every single moment. Are you exhausted just thinking about it? Every single temptation, obedient. Every single temptation, faithful, steadfast, exhausted. That's Jesus. He is this kind of friend who doesn't just look from a distance and say, I care about you. He is one who does not give up. He is better not because he is with us or just because he identifies with us. Jesus can be trusted because he alone has the strength that we need. Our book, uh, Dane Lortland, says this in Gentle and Lowly, The one who shares in all our pain shares in it as the pure and holy one. Our sinless high priest is not one who needs rescue but who provides it. This is why we can go to him to receive mercy and find grace. He himself is not trapped in a hole of sin with us. He alone can pull us out. Because Jesus was without sin, he can stand on the the dry land, looking down into the pit that you and I are in, and extend his strong, mighty, and forgiving hand and pull us out. If we want Jesus to identify with us by becoming, by being sinful like us, well, then you'll understand how I really feel. Then both of us are in the ditch together and he is of no value to us. But because he was tempted in all ways, yet without sin, he is the solution to our problem, the healing for our pain, the rescue for our trouble. What happens? When we approach God in the confidence of Christ's sacrifice for us, what happens? The writer of Hebrews says, this is why you can be confident. We can go to the throne of grace to get his grace and his mercy for us. Now this is, again, let's look again in the first century Jewish eyes. The throne of grace? This is a strange phrase. The throne, what happens at the throne of God? Judgment. Even uh, verse 13 says this, no creature is hidden from his sight. All who, are naked, all who become naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom they must give account. Everyone comes to the throne of God bearing all of their sins and they have to give account to God. That's a terrifying thing. But because of what Jesus has done and stood in our place and become our sin, dying on the cross for us, the throne of judgment is now a throne of grace. And so we can come to him confident in our time of need. When does the mercy and grace come? In our time of need. That is to say, his response is always appropriate to the time. Not according to our time, but according to his perfect wisdom. See, if we fail to grasp onto Jesus and trust in him in our weakness, we rob ourselves of that great joy of God's comfort and assurance that he holds for us if we fail to grasp him and trust in him and fail to come confidently to his throne of grace that mercy and grace that he pours out for us we will miss mercy what is that it is mercy for past sins it is forgiveness for our sins grace it is it is grace for our present and future needs These are the two things that we struggle in when we are suffering. There are two fears that we have. One, can we be forgiven? And two, is there hope for the future? And do you see when we come to Christ, he pours out both. Grace or mercy for past sins. Grace for the future. Forgiveness and hope. To say that Jesus is able to sympathize with us is not a pep talk. That's not what I'm here for. That's not why we come to God's Word to just get a pep talk from heaven. Keep going, you can do it. It's not a pep talk, it's a promise from God Himself that His children will receive mercy and sustaining grace, and it will never come too late. Do you see how God responds to your suffering? however small it might be in your eyes, however big it might be in your world? Do you see how God responds to your suffering? When you look at God, is he wagging a finger at you and saying, I told you you shouldn't have done this. I told you you should have done this or that. I told you you should just trust me more. If you see him and you go to the throne of God and you see him wagging your finger, his finger, then you're not seeing the God of the Bible. If you're hearing him tell you that your suffering is just somebody else's fault and everybody just needs to see the world as you see it, then you're not listening to the God of the Bible. If you are feeling absent from God, then you're not experiencing the God of the Bible. Because when we suffer, he sees us. He stands with us. He experiences our pain with us. He reaches down and he rescues us. Believe that. Do you believe that? Do you believe that he is that friend, that he is that one who sympathizes and knows your brokenness? He experiences all of those pains and he rescues you. Let it stir in your heart that, really, that Jesus really does sympathize with our weakness. This is the heart of Christ. He cannot be any different. And trust that his grace will see you through even the toughest of times.